Welcome to My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast and so much more. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer based in Salt Lake City, where it is snowy, um, but I understand not as snowy as it is for our guest. I know, and we've been trying to make this one happen for a long time, so I'm super excited that this is finally going to happen. Uh, so today we are pleased to welcome Professor Steve Strogatz. Steve, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, wow. Thank you. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Evelyn. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've wanted to be on the show for a very long time, and I think it's true what Evelyn just said. We have uh, a very big snowstorm here today <laughs> in not-so-sunny Ithaca, New York, upstate. I I just took my dog out for a walk, and... Um, the snow was over my boots and going into them and making my feet wet. Oh, that's so. bad. See, <laughs> see, I have a Florida dog. She wouldn't know what to do. I, I, we Actually, we were in North Carolina a few years ago at Christmas, and it snowed, and she was just alarmed. She had no idea what to do. <laughs> just, and she's small, too. She just couldn't take it. So. Yeah, well, it would be more like tunneling than, than yeah. running. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so we actually met quite a few years ago at this point. Actually, I know the exact day because it was like two days before my brother's wedding, mm -hmm. the first time we met, because yeah. you were on the thesis committee for my sister-in-law, who is a physicist, mm -hmm. um, mm. many years ago. And so we have this weird, it was when I was I had just moved to New York to work at Scientific American for the first time. So it was like at the very beginning of my life as a math writer. And I remember just being floored by how generous you were with oh. being willing to meet with, <laughs> with a nobody like me. Well, that's like, nice. At this time that's when nice. I was But actually, I, I had a crystal ball and I knew you were going to become the voice of mathematics for the country, practically. <laughs> I mean, so I, let me brag on Evelyn's behalf a little bit. If you go on Twitter... You, I wonder if you know this, Kevin. Do you know this little factoid I'm going to unreal? Uh, I bet I do, but go You ahead, know where yeah. I'm going. Okay, yeah, I so do. on, on <laughs> Twitter, if you ask what mathematician do other mathematicians follow, I think Evelyn is the number one person she the last is time I checked. number one. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I, I like to say I'm the queen of math Twitter, although I don't actually like to say this because it feels really weird. But <laughs> Well, that's okay. You didn't say it. <laughs> but yeah, I do remember our meeting that day in, in my office. Um and and right, it was on this happy occasion of a family, of a wedding. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you, Kevin. Oh, I don't know. I was going to say I th with the Twitter thing. I think you're not far. You're not far behind, right? Like, aren't you number two? Probably. I think the last time I looked, um, I was number two. Yeah. <laughs> so I, look at that. The two, okay. The two tweet tweet monsters. And, yeah. and now the funny thing is, I'm not even on that list. So here we go. Okay. Well, we're. <laughs> Where you could catch up. I'm sure you'll be coming right uh, on our heels. Maybe. I, I, have, I have over a thousand followers now, but apparently not that many mathematicians. So this is, this is how this goes. Anyway, what, okay. what weird times we live in, right? Like, it's you know, very who, weird. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know what this can, can get us, a cup of coffee or what, but maybe. maybe. Anyway. That's it. Okay. okay. Let's talk theorems. So, Steve, you must have a favorite theorem. What is it? Yeah. I, I, so I have a very sentimental attachment to a theorem in complex analysis called mm. Cauchy's theorem. Oh, or yeah. sometimes called Cauchy's Integral Theorem. Oh, I love that theorem. It's a fantastic theorem. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I want to say what I like about it mathematically and what I like about it personally. Mm -hmm. Does that work? Yes, please. Yeah. Should we do that? That's exactly okay. what we want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So then the scene is, um, it's my sophomore year of college. Maybe I'll start with the emotional. Okay. It's, it's, it's my sophomore year of college. I've just gotten very demoralized in my freshman year taking 
the uh, the honors linear algebra course that mm. a lot of universities offer as a kind of um, first introduction to what college math is really going to be like. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of kids in high school have done perfectly well in their pre-calculus and calculus courses, and then they get to college and suddenly it's all about proofs and abstraction. And and uh, it can be, sh I mean, we sometimes call it a transition course, right? It's mm -hmm. a transition mm -hmm. into the, the rigorous world of pure math. And so it was a shock for me. I had a lot of trouble with that course. I, I couldn't read the book very well. It mm -hmm. didn't have pictures and I'm kind of visual. And so I was always at a loss to figure out what was going on. And, and being a freshman, I didn't have any sense about, um, why don't I look at a different book, you know, or maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I should switch sections or I could ask my teaching assistant or I could mm -hmm. go to office hours. I didn't know to do any of that stuff. So anyway, th this is not my favorite theorem. I, I was very mm -hmm. demoralized after this experience in linear algebra. And then when I took a, um, a second semester, also an honors course, there was a, a rigorous calculus course with the Heine-Borel theorem and, mm -hmm. you know, like all kinds of, again, no formulas. It was all about, I, I remember hearing this stuff about every open cover has a finite subcover. And I thought, mm. I want to take a derivative. I can't yeah. do anything here. I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I really, after that first year, I was, I thought, I don't have the right stuff to be a mathematician. Mm. And... Um, so maybe I'll try physics, which I also always loved. And so I was, I say all that as preamble to this complex analysis course that I was taking in sophomore year, which I, you know, I still wanted to take math. I'd heard complex variables might be useful for physics. I, I thought it would be an interesting course. I don't know. Turned out it was a really great course for me because it really looked a lot like calculus, except it yep. was F of Z instead of F of X. Right. You know, but everything else was kind of what I wanted. And, um... So I was really happy. I had a great teacher, a famous person actually named Elias Stein. Oh. So so Stein is a well-known mathematician, but I didn't know that. I just to me he was a guy who wore hush puppies and <laughs> you know had uh always kind of a rumpled appearance and came in with his notes and he seemed nice and I, I really liked his lectures. But so one day he starts proving this thing, Cauchy's theorem, and and he uh, he draws a big triangle on the board, and he's going to prove that the integral of an analytic function, f, around this triangle is zero, um, no matter what f is. All he needs is that it's analytic, meaning that it has a derivative in the sense of a, a complex, a function of a complex variable. It's a little more stringent condition, actually a lot more stringent than... Yeah. <laughs> to say, uh, to say a, a function of a real variable is yes. uh, is differentiable. But I didn't appreciate that at the time. I mean, that's sort of the big reveal of the whole subject right. is that this is an unbelievably stringent condition. You can't imagine how much stuff follows from this innocuous looking assumption mm -hmm. that you could take a derivative. But OK, so I'm kind of naive anyway. And he uh, he says he's going to prove this thing only assuming that F is analytic um, on the screen triangle and inside it. And that's enough. And then, you know, I feel like there's, you don't have enough information. There's nothing to do. So then he starts drawing a little triangle inside the big triangle and then little triangles inside the little triangle. And it starts making a pattern that today I would call a fractal, mm -hmm. though I didn't know it at the time. And he didn't say the word fractal. And actually nobody ever says that when they're doing this proof, no. but it's right. They don't, but it's triangles inside of triangles in a self-similar way 
that doesn't actually play any particular role in the proof mm -hmm. other than it's just this bizarre move. Like, what is going on? Why is he drawing these triangles inside of triangles? And and by the end, I mean, I won't go into the details of the proof, but he he got the, the whole thing to work out. And it was so magnificent that I started clapping. And at that point, every kid in the room whipped their head around to look at me. And the professor looked at me like, what is wrong with you? You know, and yet I thought, well, what do you... Why are you guys looking at me? This was the most amazing theorem and the most amazing <laughs> proof, you know. So, um, <laughs> so I, anyway, it, to me, it was a very significant moment emotionally because it made me feel that math was, first of all, something I could do again, something I could appreciate and mm -hmm. love, after having really been turned off for a year and having a kind of crisis of confidence. But also, you know, aside from any of that, it's just I think people who know would regard this proof. This is actually by a mathematician named Goursat, a French mm -hmm. mathematician who improved on Cauchy's original proof. Um, Goursat's proof of Cauchy's theorem is just one of the great, you know, it's from the book in the words of Paul Erdős. Right. If, if God had a proof of this theorem, it would be this proof. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? I mean, I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about with this theorem. Well, this, proof. this is one of my favorite classes to teach because Every, everything works out so well, right? Every, <laughs> every answer is zero because of Cauchy's theorem, or it's two pi i because you have a pole in the middle, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and so I sort of joke with my students that this, this is true. But then the, the things you can do with this one theorem, which does, it's, you're right, it's very innocuous looking. You, know, you integrate an analytic function around a closed curve and you get zero. And then you can do all these wonderful calculations of these contour integrals and like the, the, the real indefinite integrals and all this stuff. Uh, I just love blowing students' mind with that and it, the, the, just how clean everything is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I kind of, so I feel like I go back and forth a little bit. Um, I mean, like in my Twitter bio, it does have complex analysis fangirl. So like oh. I'd say that I'm a, <laughs> and, okay. and I think that's accurate. But sometimes, like you said, it's so many of these, you know, you're, you're like teaching it or, or reading it and you're like, oh, this is complex analysis is so powerful. But in another way, it's like our definition of of derivative in the complex plane is so restrictive mm -hmm. that like, yeah, we're just plucking, you know, the very nicest, most well-behaved things to look at <laughs> and then saying like, oh, look what we can do when we only look That's at right. the very most well-behaved things. So, yeah, I kind of go back and forth. Like, is it really powerful or are we just like limiting ourselves so much in what we think about? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I guess the, the, the real dirty secret is that uh, when you try to go to two complex variables, all hell breaks loose. Ah, see, I've never done that subject, so I don't appreciate that. Is <laughs> I don't that right? really either. Yeah, but I mean, apparently, once you get into two variables, like none of this works. Right? Oh, <laughs> but it's a very interesting comment you make there, Evelyn, that, um, you know, in retrospect, it's true. We've We've assumed when we make this assumption that a function is analytic, that we are living in the best of all possible worlds. Mm -hmm. We just didn't realize we were assuming that. It seems like we're not assuming much. And right. yet it turns out it's enormously restrictive, as you say. And and so then it's a question of taste in math. Do you like your math, you know, really surprising and really kind of beautiful and everything works out the way it should? Or do you like it thorny and full of rich counterexamples and struggles and paradoxes? 
And I, I feel like that's sort of the essential difference between real analysis and complex analysis. That in, yeah. in, mm -hmm. in complex analysis, everything you had dreamed to be true is true, and the proofs are relatively easy. Whereas in, uh, right. you know, real analysis, sort of the opposite. Everything you thought was true is actually false. Mm -hmm. There are some nasty counterexamples, and the proofs of the theorems are really hard. Yeah, you kind of have to MacGyver things together sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, I've got this terrible epsilon and like, you know, it's got coefficients and exponents and stuff, but like, okay, here you go. Yeah. I stuck it together. But but that's interesting, Steve, that this has been your favorite theorem because, you know, you're you're very famous for studying kind of difficult, thorny mathematics, right? I mean, dynamics is not easy. Huh. I wouldn't have thought that. That's interesting that you think that. I, I don't think of myself <laughs> oh. as doing anything thorny. Uh, hmm, okay. So that's interesting. I mean, yes, dynamical systems in the hands of some practitioners can be very subtle. I mean, th mm -hmm. those are people who have a taste for those those kinds mm -hmm. of issues. I've mm -hmm. never been very sophisticated and haven't really understood a lot of the subtlety. So I like my math very intuitive. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on the very applied end of the applied, you know, pure spectrum. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes people will think I'm not really a mathematician at all. I look more like a physicist to them or maybe even, God forbid, a biologist or something. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't really have much taste for the difficult and the subtle. I, I like my math very cooperative and, and surprising. Um, mm -hmm. I like, well, not surprising for mathematical reasons, but more surprising for its power to mirror things in the real world. Mm -hmm. I, I like math that is somehow tapping into the order in the world around us. Right. Yeah, so this it's interesting to me also that you picked this because, yeah, as you say, you are a very applied mathematician. And I think of complex analysis as a not, as like a very pure, mm -hmm. I, I, I actually, I'm trying to not say pure math because I think it's this weird like purity test or something, but, <laughs> you know, that like a very theoretical thing. But uh -huh. so, so does it play into your uh, field of research at all? Well, uh, not particularly. Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, I have to say I was a little intimidated by the title of the podcast. Mm. If you ask me what's my favorite theorem, the truth is, for me, theorems are not my favorite things. Okay. My favorite things are examples or mathematical models. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have, mo like, there's a model in my field called the Kuramoto model after a Japanese physicist, Yoshiki Kuramoto. And if you ask me what's my favorite mathematical object... I would say the Kuramoto model, which is a set of differential equations that mirrors how fireflies can get their flashes in sync or how mm -hmm. crickets can chirp in sync or how other things in nature can self-organize into cooperative collective yep. oscillation. So that's my favorite object. I've been studying that thing for 30 years, but and, and I suppose there are theorems attached to it, but it's the, it's the set of equations themselves and what they do that is my favorite of all. So I don't know. Okay. Maybe that's my real answer. Well, but... that, that's fine. So, yeah, it's true. We, we've had people who've, who've done that in the past. They didn't have a favorite theorem, but they had a favorite thing. Uh, so... but, but still, I mean, yeah. I am still a mathematician. Part right. of me is. And I, I do have theorems that I love. And, and the, one of the things I love about Cauchy's theorem is that in the proof, with this drawing of all the nested triangles inside the big triangle, you end up using a kind of internal cancellation. Mm -hmm. that, that the triangles touch other triangles, except on their common edge. Sometimes you're going one way and sometimes you're going in the opposite direction mm -hmm. on that same edge. Mm -hmm. And so those contributions end up canceling. And, and 
you end up, the only thing that doesn't cancel is what's going on around the boundary. And, right. and then that can be sort of pulled all the way into a tiny triangle in the interior, mm -hmm. which is where you end up using the local property that is the derivative condition to get everything that you need to prove the result about the big triangle on the mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. But the reason I'm going into all that is that this is a, a principle, this internal cancellation that is at the heart of another theorem that's been featured on your show at the mm -hmm. Fundamental Theorem of Calculus, mm -hmm. right. which, which uses a telescoping sum. Mm -hmm. you know, to convert what's happening on the boundary to what's happening when you integrate over the interior. This idea of telescoping, I think, is really deep. I mean, it's it's what we use to prove Stokes' theorem. It's what we would use to prove all the theorems about line integrals. Mm -hmm. um, it comes up in topology when you're doing chains and cochains. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so this is a, a principle that goes beyond any one part of math, this idea of telescoping. And mm -hmm. I've been thinking I want to write an article Someday, I haven't written it yet, called a, like Calculus Through the Telescope mm -hmm. or, or a Telescopic View of Calculus or something mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. that that brings out this one principle and, and shows its ramifications for many parts of math and analysis and topology. And I don't think it's I mean, I think some people get it. People who really understand differential forms and topology know what I'm talking about. But mm -hmm. no one ever really told me this. And I feel like maybe it should be mentioned, even though it is well known to the people who know it. <laughs> right it's, it's 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 the air we breathe right so we don't we don't think about it i guess i yeah. guess but like i think they're probably high school teachers or others who are teaching calculus like for instance when i learned about telescoping series in my first calculus course that just seems like a trick to find an exact sum of a certain infinite mm. series of numbers mm -hmm. you know they show you okay you could do this one because it's a telescoping series and it seems like it's an isolated trick but it's not isolated this one idea you can see the two-dimensional version of it in Cauchy's theorem, mm -hmm. and you can see the three-dimensional version of it in the divergence theorem and so mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. right. Anyway, so so I like that. I feel like this idea has tentacles spreading in all directions. Right. Yeah, well, I this makes me want to go back and think about that idea more because, yeah, I wouldn't say that I would necessarily have thought to connect it to this many other things. I mean, you did preface your statement with those who really understand differential forms. And like my dark secret is that <laughs> the word form really scares me. Um, it, it's a tough one. It's somehow, yeah, that like that, that was one of those really hard things um, when I started doing more like hard real analysis. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like I always had to just like kind of hold on to it and pray and like you get to the end of it and you're like well I guess I did it but I feel like I I never really got that full mm -hmm. like deep understanding of forms huh yeah I don't I don't claim that I have either um it's I'm reminded of a time I was a teaching assistant for a freshman course for the the whiz kids that um where you know it's not, like every university has this where you throw outrageous stuff at these freshmen mm -hmm. that that and then they rise to the occasion because they don't know what you're asking them to do is impossible but so <laughs> i i remember being in a course that was uh as like i say a teaching assistant where it was called a course in mathematics for students of physics based on a book by Shlomo Sternberg at Harvard and Paul Bamberg who's a mm -hmm. physicist there too and a very good teacher and, and that book tried to teach Maxwell's equations and other parts of physics with the machinery of differential forms and um, homology and cohomology theory to freshmen. Okay. <laughs> and, 
And but what was amazing is it sort of worked and the students could do it. And in the course of teaching it, I came to this appreciation of of integrating forms and how it really does amount to this telescoping some trick. Mm. And anyway, so um yeah, it's it's true. Maybe it's not super widely appreciated. I don't know. I don't know if it is. I don't want to insult people who already know what I'm talking about. But I, I do feel like there's a story to tell here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we'll be looking for that. So. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah, someday. In, in the New York Times, right? So, well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so another thing we do on this podcast is we ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. And we think we might have sprung this on you, but, but you, you seem to have thought of a, of, of a solution here. So, so what have you chosen to pair with Cauchy's theorem? Um, cubist painting. Oh, excellent. Okay. Explain. So, yeah. Tell us I'm, why. Well, I'm thinking of cubism. I'm, I don't look, I don't know much about art, so it might be a dumb pairing, but what I'm thinking is there's a, there's a painting. I think it's by George Brack of a guy, or maybe it's Picasso, someone walking downstairs and maybe it's called a nude descending is a it? staircase or something like that. Mm -hmm. do, you're yeah. nodding, Evan. Do you know what? Yeah, what I yeah. Mean? I mean, I I'm a little nervous about saying it. On, I think it is Picasso, but I'm looking it up on my phone. So yeah, go ahead, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could try too. I, I for some reason I'm thinking it's George Brack, but that may be wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so I'll describe the painting I have in my head, and it may be totally. No, it's not... Marcel Duchamp. Oh, it's Marcel Duchamp. Yeah. yeah. And what's the name of it? Nude descending a stair staircase number two, I think. Yeah, that's the one. Now, is, would that be considered cubism? Yeah. Is, it says, according to Wikipedia, is widely considered a modernist classic. Okay. Um, okay, I don't know if it's the best example of what I'm thinking, but it's, let me just zip, blow it up and look at it here. Mm -hmm. uh, so what, what hits me about it is it's a lot of straight lines. Um, mm -hmm. It's very rectilinear. And it, you don't see anything that really looks curved like a human form. You know, people are made of curved surfaces, our faces, mm -hmm. our cheeks, our, you know. Like, what I like is this idea that you can build up curved objects out of lots of things made of straight lines. You know, like mm -hmm. you can do a mesh refinement on it. For instance, there's an old proof of um, the area of a circle where you chop it up into lots of pizza-shaped Sure. Sl slices, right? And then you add up the areas of all mm -hmm. those. And, and they can be approximated by triangles. Mm -hmm. And if you make the triangles thin enough, then those slivers can fill out more and more of the area, the method of exhaustion proof for the area of a circle. Mm -hmm. so, so this idea that you can approximate curved things with triangles reminds me of this idea in Cauchy's theorem that you first you prove it for the triangle, and then later Professor Stein proved the result for any smooth curve by approximating it with triangles you know, a polygonal mm -hmm. approximation to the mm -hmm. curve, and then he could chop up the interior into lots of triangles. So I sort of think it pairs with this vision of the human form and its sinuous descent down, you know, this a, a person is, is smooth, and yet they're being built out of these strange cubist mm. facets, you know, or other shapes. I mean, think of other cubist paintings. You, you mm -hmm. represent smooth things with, with gem-like faceted structures. It sort of reminds me of Cauchy's theorem. Mm -hmm. Okay, good pairing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that before That's right. we yeah. made false statements about art on this math podcast. <laughs> yeah, it may, it may not be the best cubist example, but um, what are you going to do? You invited a mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> so we also like to let our guests uh, uh, make pitches for things that they're doing. So you have a lot going on. You have a new podcast. 
Yeah. Tell us about it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning it. Um, I have a podcast with the confusing name Joy of X. Mm-hmm. It's confusing because I also wrote a book by that name, and before right. that, I had written an article by that name. Yes. So I, <laughs> I did not choose that name for the podcast, but uh, my producer felt like it sort of works for this podcast because it's a show where I interview scientists and mathematicians mm-hmm. in spirit, very similar to what we're doing here, mm-hmm. um, and I talk to them about their lives and their work, and. It's sort of the inner life of a scientist, but it's it could be a neuroscientist. It could be a person who studies astrophysics or a mathematician. It's anything that is covered by Quanta Magazine. Um, mm-hmm. So Quanta Magazine, some of your listeners will know, is a, an online magazine that covers fundamental parts of math and science and computer science. Um, really, it's quite terrific. If people haven't read it, they, they mm-hmm. might want to look at it online. It's free and it's... Anyway, so Quanta wanted to start a podcast... And um, they asked me to host it, which was really fun because I get to explore all these parts of science. I've always liked all of the different parts of science as well as math. And um, so, yeah, that's the show. It's called The Joy of X, where here X takes on this generalized meaning of the unknown, not just the unknown in algebra, but mm-hmm. anything that's mm-hmm. unknown yeah. and the joy of doing science and the scientific quest. We'll be sure to link to that. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, Infinite Powers came out last year, right? 2019? That's true. Yes. I had yeah. a book, Infinite Powers, mm-hmm. about calculus. And mm-hmm. that was an attempt to try to explain to the general public what's so special about calculus. Why mm-hmm. is it such a famous part of math? Um, I try to make the case that it, it really did change the world and that it underpins a lot of modern science and technology, as mm-hmm. well as being a, a gateway to, to modern math. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do think of it as one of the greatest ideas that human beings have ever come up with. Whether there's, of course, that raises the question: Did we discover it or invent it? But, yeah. but that's a good one. <laughs> but, but leaving Put that, that aside, on a philosophy podcast somewhere. <laughs> we don't need that on this math podcast. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know what to say about that's a good timeless question. But, but anyway, yes, infinite powers was a real challenge to write because, I, I I'm trying to tell some of the history, but I'm not a historian of math and. Mm. Uh, I wanted to really teach some of the big ideas for people who either have math phobia or, or who took calculus but didn't see the point of it or just thought it was a lot of, you know, doing one integral after another without really understanding why they're doing it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's my love song to calculus. It really is one of my favorite parts of math, and I wanted other people to see what's so, so lovable and important about it. Yeah. So it's, it, but, I mean, the book, as I say, was hard because I tried to combine history and applications and big ideas without really showing the math. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. Yeah. And and make it fun to read. Right. It is it's a very good book though. I I I did read it and uh Oh, thanks. and, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, well, thank it you. It is on my it is on my like the table here under a giant pile of books to read because <laughs> people need to just stop publishing. That's right. There's too much. We need well, to like just have a year to catch up. And then we could start going again. But, well, what's, <laughs> what's, that, what's that Japanese word of, that's sort of like the, the, the joy of having unread books? Uh, oh. There's, there's this Japanese concept of like these books that you'll, well, maybe even never read. But that, you, uh-huh. but, but that you should have stacks and stacks of books because, you know, maybe you'll read them, maybe you won't. <laughs> but the potential is there. So, that's I mean, nice. So I have, a, I, nice I have a nightstand on, on the shelf of my nightstand. There's probably 20 books there right now and i haven't read them all i've read half of them maybe but i'm going to read them 
maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, when you were talking about your sort of emotional feelings about uh, Toshi's theorem, it reminded me of your, uh, I don't know if it was your first book, but the, the Calculus of Friendship, about your relationship with your high school teacher. Well, how um, nice of you to mention it. Yeah, um, that was interesting, too, because it, it reminded me a lot of me in the sense of, you know, I thought I knew everything, too, when I was 18. Like, I thought, yeah. cal calculus is easy. And, and then I get, to, I get to university and math wasn't necessarily so easy, you know? These same sort of challenges, you know? Well, that's, that's, I appreciate that, especially because that book is, is pretty obscure um, as yep. far as, you know, not many people read it. And it's very um, meaningful to me because I, mm -hmm. I love my old teacher, Mr. Joffrey, who is sure. um, now, let's see, geez, he's 90 years old. And uh, I stayed in touch with him for about 35 years mm -hmm. after college writing and we wrote math problems to each other and, mm -hmm. and solutions and it was really a friendship based on calculus but over the course of those 35 years a lot happened to both of us in our lives and yet we didn't tend to talk about that it was like mm -hmm. math was a sanctuary for us a refuge to get away from mm -hmm. some of the ups and downs of real life and but of course real life has a way of making itself you know insinuating itself whether you like it or not and so sure. it's it's that story um the subtitle of the book is what a teacher and a student learned about life while corresponding about math. Mm -hmm. And um, I sometimes think of it as like there's a Venn diagram where there's one circle is people who want to read math books with all the formulas, because mm -hmm. I include all the formulas from our letters. Yeah. And then there's people who want to read books about emotional friendships between men. And mm -hmm. um, if you intersect those two circles, there's a tiny sliver that apparently you're one of the people in it. <laughs> <laughs> And your book might be the unique book in that in that in that, that diagram too, right? Maybe I don't yeah. know, but yeah. So it it was it was clear it would not be a big hit in any way. But I I felt like I couldn't do any other work until I wrote that book. I mm. I really wanted to write it. It was the easiest book to write. It it poured out of me, and I would sometimes cry while I was writing it. It's mm. um, it, it was almost like a kind of psychoanalysis for myself, I think, mm -hmm. because I did I did have a lot of guilty feelings about that relationship, which, you know, if you do read the book, anyone listening, you'll see what I felt guilty about. And I, I deserve to feel guilty. I needed to grow up. And mm -hmm. you see some of that evolution in the course of the book. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to pitch? I mean, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I how about I pitch this show? I mean, I'm very delighted to be on here. Oh, uh, thanks. That's really, I, I think you guys are doing a great thing helping to get the word out about math, our wonderful subject. And yeah. so God bless you for doing that. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun, Steve. We really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your snow day. Yeah. And uh, so now do you have to go shovel your driveway? Is that? Oh, is... yeah. That may be the last act I ever commit. Uh, wait, um... <laughs> don't you still have a teenager at home? Isn't that what they're for? Uh, mean... My kids, I do have, you know what? That's a good point. Yeah. I have one daughter who is still in high school and yeah. has not left for college yet. So maybe I could deploy her. Yeah. But um, she's currently making oatmeal cookies with one of her friends. Oh, well. Oh. That's a useful, I mean, that, that, that's helping out the family yeah. too, right? I mean, they're both yeah. able-bodied, strong young women. So I, I should get them out there and with me and we could all shovel ourselves out. Yeah. yeah. Well, good, <laughs> good, good luck with that. Uh, thank you. So, thank yeah. you. Thanks for joining us, Steve. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. 
They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.